Welcome to the rock. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading a very special edition of the Black and Gold Podcast, brought to you by Boonshine Brewing Company. Um, this is a special episode. We're releasing this on September 1st, 2023. We have a football game on September 2nd, 2023. So uh, the real purpose of this episode is to uh, basically do the drawing, the raffle for the 34-32 day raffle that we do every year. But if you're downloading this and riding up the mountain uh, <laughs> and, and listening to this, and you're going to be in Boone this weekend, check out Boonshine. It's the coolest spot in Boone to hang out. Go grab an awesome dinner, uh, grab a beer. Some of the best times uh, are had at Boonshine, trying to make the high country a better place and making Boonshine. Um, I know we're a little ahead of the curve, but remember Oktoberfest, October 7th in Boone, uh, at Boonshine. Um, and just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but we are very grateful for the partnership with Boonshine. And um, really, we're grateful for what happened with this raffle effort. Charles, uh, we had a good we had a good month of August raising money for Yosef Club and honoring, you know, arguably the most important day in App State history. Um, and it's all good, man. We we uh, we did better than we thought. We did better than we thought. Uh, we've got a lot of people who are eligible to win surprises tonight. Um, so that's what's really, really exciting. Um, I think AJ, you know, we've got some numbers to to you know to count here, some processing and all that good stuff. Everything when everything shakes itself out, twenty percent more than we did last year, which was a record. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. right? One hundred percent. So That's right. congrats everybody out there to you guys for um, you know giving the money to the SF Club. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, yep. that's where it's all going. So, that's right. Um, yeah, and all proceeds go. Yeah, yeah. Um, every year we do this to. Just keep in the in in the forefront um, just the importance of of what we've done in the past and how it's gotten to a, how how it's gotten us to where we are today. And uh, you know, back at the, I'm telling you, at the time when we beat Michigan on that fateful day, however, how many years ago was that? Sixteen, 16. years ago. <laughs> Sixteen years ago. That game has a driver's <laughs> license right now. It does. <laughs> it passed driver's ed, and it's got a it's got a driver's license now, um, but. I, I want to say the Yosef Club contribution, like the total amount of contributions that were happening around that time in 2007, I want to say it was around four hundred dollars to $600,000 a year, I think. I yeah, think that's somewhere. I don't think it was until after the championships that we eclipsed a million, like all three yeah. of them. So yeah. it, it was in it, that it, range. Yeah. And so now I think last year it was like $6.6 or $6.7 million annually is what Yosef club did and um, being able to pay for scholarships and give the athletics department, you know, something in the war chest so that they can, um, you know, compete across all sports and, and give these athletes a chance to do what we did and, and, and go to app state and enjoy living in Boone. Um, obviously they stay a little busier than <laughs> yeah, you or I were in, in college, but uh, that's what we want. That's what we want it to be about. We want it to be about remembering a great day in app state history and raising money for Yosef Club, and thanks to everybody that participated, we did that. Like Charles said, it's over. Um, last year we did seven thousand. This year it's 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 over eighty five hundred. We'll announce the the total number next week. But we still had orders coming in um, when I finally cut it off and uh, said no no mas. And so, um, 
but a lot of names in here uh, to draw from. Charles is going to draw. And here are the prizes. So I'm just going to recap this for everybody that's listening to this going, I totally miss this. I'm not on the internet, and I don't listen to the podcast that closely. What are you talking about? So we raffled off six really cool prizes. Um, I'm going to go down the list on how we're going to announce them. Number one, we got uh, four sleeves of Take the Stairs uh, golf balls. It's got a really sweet-looking um, black block A on the golf. It's a Cal- the Callaway balls. And uh, has take the stairs on them. Really cool. Really happy that the basketball program slid those our way. So someone's going to get a nice. Um, depends on how good of a golfer you are. We'll determine how long they last. <laughs> I think, but really cool prize. Then there's a Thomas Hennigan autographed picture from that uh, huge catch he made in 2019 against um, the Tar Heels. And you know, thank Thomas for uh, signing that for us. That's really cool. Then we have a South Carolina commemorative ball from that um, 20 to 15 victory from again, 2019. And here's the interesting thing. Thomas Hennigan, Noah Hannon and Jordan fair, all who are on that team um, all signed the ball. And so we thank all three of those guys for contributing to that and in signing that football. Next, we have a Texas A&M commemorative football signed by the man himself, coach Clark. And we thank coach for, uh, doing that and, and thank shout out Lance Ware for helping us get that signed and uh, taken care of this week. And we have shout out to Darrington Evans and Noah Hannon. Noah, Noah really helped facilitate this too. And shout out to Shane Nelson. Okay. So all the equipment that we get to get signed and in whatever, it comes from athletics and they're like, Hey, if you want to help us, you know, raise money for Yosef club, here's some stuff. And so it's, it's, it's a really great ecosystem. Like we get to do something fun and organize this. Uh, athletic says, cool, here's some stuff. And then the athletes, it's up to them. They got to sign it if they want to. Right. So um, I actually have had that Darrington Jersey for a couple of years uh, waiting for the right opportunity to get him to sign it. And um, he agreed to it. So I shipped him the Jersey and while he was in camp and he took the time to sign it and, um, and for the for the young folks out there, he wrote roll nears on it. He <laughs> put a little <laughs> put a little extra uh millennial Gen Z, whatever you want to call it, flavor on it, which I think when you put a little extra personal flair, regardless of what it is, it's almost always cool. So a gold number three Darrington Evans jersey. Someone's gonna win that. That's really cool. And the um piece de resistance is uh I know everybody liked my French accent there, is a a gold helmet, the black block A with a black face mask the same style helmet used at the South Carolina game, 2019 signed by coach Moore. always do more than expected. 2005, 2006, 2007 national champions, Appalachian 34, Michigan 32. Um, just all the stuff that the, the signature, would, the, the, the official Jerry would, Moore right, signature, <laughs> the official Jerry Moore signature and, and shout out to coach Moore. Every time I contact coach Moore to do something like this, he is so enthusiastic to do it because he knows, um, first of all, he's happy to do it anyway. Like I've had him sign some things for, I don't I hate to say less important things, but um, for doing something like this to raise money for uh, Yosef Club, he's absolutely happy to do it. And so um, really love the relationship we have with him and being able to um, get him to do stuff like this. And I will say while we're, we're on the subject, if you're not part of the Yosef Club, you should join. Go to joinyosef.com, uh, and um, it's 50 bucks for the year. Um, plenty of people in the, on that list spent more than that on, in raffle tickets. And I know a lot of those people are in Yosef Club. But uh, join, support Yosef Club. By you buying 
Yost, uh, a raffle ticket you have <laughs> supporting Yosef Club, but if you're listening and you haven't, um, join and help App State Athletics be the best that they can be. Um, I also wanted to mention this, too, since the game is literally tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow. By the time you're listening to this, folks, it is tomorrow. Um, but Blue Deer, I know we're not doing the hashtag BGP Mail Satchel right now, but Blue Deer uh, ice cream sandwiches are going to be in Kid Brewer Stadium this year, Charles. This is a recent development, and so um, you can go get your uh, go get your Tropic uh, um, Boonshine beverage, and then when you're ready for you get a little sweet tooth, go get the um, the Blue Deer ice cream sandwich. Is it the and, BGP combo right there? Is that like is that <laughs> are, are those two stands beside each other? Do you have to go like to one side and then go to what the a other? Great question. Let me let me uh, let me look up what Austin texted me. What a great question. That should be the BGP combo. Holy cow! Um, it does. It doesn't say exactly where in the stadium. That that's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. If they post, if they post that, we'll we'll retweet yeah. it. And, we, we, uh, need, we need uh, we need some uh, some social media shots of of anyone with the BGP combo. We don't have any <laughs> prizes for you except for a repost at this moment. But we'll figure something out along the way. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll figure something out. Someone get a go get a. Uh, Go get a Tropic and go get a, an ice cream sandwich, the BGP combo. God, Charles on his feet just coming up with this marketing goodness. But really happy for Blue Deer and Boonshine, both awesome sponsors and, and partners for us to be um, in Kid Brewer Stadium. Another thing that I'm going to do, I did this last year, so we did the drawing. But I'm also going to tack on at the end of this episode the conversation that we had with uh, Jerry Moore, Steve Brown, David Jackson, um, in 2017, uh, about that day in Ann Arbor. So repurposing it, you've probably heard it before. Maybe not. Um, our listener base keeps growing. We have more people download episodes in the month of August than any other month, um, any other August ever. So there are new listeners out there. So we're going to you know, stick around if you haven't heard that episode before or if you want to listen to it again. But we'll put that at the end of this segment. So we've teed it up. That's the context of what we're talking about. So, Charles, let's start with giving away these four sleeves of golf balls. Go ahead and spin the randomizer, <laughs> whatever um, random spinny wheel program we're using, and let's see who wins the golf balls. All right. We are spinning. First name that pops up. Click, 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 click. Wheel of Fortune. Melissa Hammonds. Congratulations. Congrats to Melissa Hammonds. You got a sleeve of golf balls. Awesome. Congratulations, Melissa. There are a lot of new names on here I don't recognize, by the way, this year. So I don't recognize Melissa, but congratulations. Yeah, All right, next that's, up we have – say what? Go ahead. No, I said it's great to have uh, new people in here. You know, that's we right. We have the same uh, four winners every, every year. Uh, <laughs> that would get old. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Guys. No, no, no. You know who you are. Yeah, and I'm telling you, the people that people that listen to this and say the same people are winning, I'm telling you, they're buying a lot of tickets. I'm just telling you that. Um, and, and that's great. More support for Yosef. Uh, the Thomas Hennigan autographed picture. Let's uh, go ahead and spin for that one. We have spun it, Pat. Okay. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. Oh, Pat Sajak. <laughs> that's what you know what that means. Nathan Rector. <laughs> Nathan Rector. Holy cow. Nathan Rector. Man. Well, him and his fiance bought, I think, 10 tickets. So that's there in there go. somewhere. Congratulations, Nathan. Um, Nathan's actually uh he lives 
I guess in, in near me, um, so that'll be easy to drop off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, congratulations. By now, but now, like, like on around this time of the year, doesn't your car just recognize to go to his house yeah. at some point? <laughs> yes, yeah, we we meet up somewhere. That's right. <laughs> congratulations, Nathan, and thank you for always supporting uh, supporting the raffles. All right. So, what's up next, AJ? We got the South Carolina commemorative ball signed by Thomas Ennigan, Noah Hannon, and Jordan Fair. All right, Pat, we've spun the wheel again. Thank you. Thank you, Vanna. <laughs> and clicking down toward Doug Keel. All right, it's Doug. It's Douglas, but it's Doug Keel. That's how I see him on Facebook, at least. All right, Doug, congratulations. South Carolina commemorative ball. That's that's a good piece of history because that – um. I'm telling you that 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 class. I know Jordan Fair wasn't part of that 2017 class, but that's a that's a good group um, of, of great players, uh, great game. So congratulations on that awesome memorabilia. Uh, next, we're going to uh, tee up the Texas A&M commemorative ball signed by Coach Clark. All right, we're spinning the wheel. I just want to say that Doug Keel got in on a single bullet, and I think that's that is huge. really <laughs> one ticket ball. Did he really? Yeah. Holy cow! Congratulations. We've we've had that happen like twice ever. So congratulations on being the third, Doug. All right, Sean uh, Sean Clark autograph ball. Is that what it was? Yep. yep. I've got one. Okay. Sounds sounds familiar. Steve Brooks. Steve Brooks. Let's go, Steve. Congratulations. He's a awesome. multi-time winner, right? Am I? I'm not. I'm not. No, he is. No, he. Steve buys multiple tickets for every raffle, so we appreciate him supporting uh, the efforts that. Um, I guess we choose to be involved with here, but congratulations, Steve. That's a, that's a sweet ball. Um, next up, we have the Darrington Evans Jersey. Darrington Evans Jersey. I think Steve had close to 10, maybe 11 tickets in there. Not trying to out anybody here, but <laughs> this is how you win. You also win one. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, the Darrington Evans, uh, gold Jersey, correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Autographed. Mm-hmm. Some catchphrase on there. Little roll in the ears action. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And we land on Mike Clifton. There you go, Mike. Fantastic. That's an easy one. That is an easy one. Congratulations, easy Mike. Drop off. That's an easy drop off of Boone Local. Um, yep. Big BGP guy. A lot of these, a lot of these names are familiar to us because these are people that have been supporting the podcast for a long time. So this is this is great. Happy to see this happen. Big guy baseball fan too. Huge. There you go. Now we have uh, the Jerry Moore autographed helmet. This is to me the crown jewel of uh, of the this whole thing. Prize five. Pri- this is price six, man. Yeah. Price six. Price six. We spin the wheel one last time. A lot of names out there. <laughs> I can't stress this enough. A lot of names. A lot of names. <laughs> did it happen? It did not. Somebody got shut out for the first time ever. Wesley Alexander, congratulations. Holy cow. I want to say, I want to say, because this is a guy, I'm going to, this is unbelievable. I'm pretty sure this guy bought one ticket and it was like three hours before I closed. (laughs) Closed. (laughs) I'm serious. I think he bought it today. Holy cow. Well, listen. That was a single bullet. It was. Doug Keel, Wesley Alexander. Both win some terrific prizes just buying one ticket. Now, if that is not a testimony of, hey, just buy a raffle ticket, see what happens. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. But um, congratulations to Melissa, Nathan, Doug, Steve, Mike, and Wesley for participating. 
and everybody, everybody listening to this that um, bought a ticket, um, it's going to a good cause. Like I said, all all the proceeds that we receive from this are um, going to Yosef Club. So appreciate everybody. Uh, Charles, any parting words before we wrap this up and do it again next year? I got no parting words. I think you had plenty earlier on. Um, but no, this has been great. Um, all the support for not just, you know, it's, it's a commemorative day for football, but it's it's about all sports at App State. Yeah. Um, from field all the way to field hockey, you name it. Um, track and field, cross country, everybody in between. It's it's very big. So um, we're we're really happy to be have started this, and um, I look forward to next year. And looking forward to Saturday. That's I mean more than anything. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest. We're looking forward to Saturday too. But that that's a good point, man. Um, on this day, thirty four, thirty two days, September first, everybody benefited. Alumni, staff, athletes, everybody benefited, and that's why we do it. So, all right, everybody, thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around with us. Uh, we are going to toss now to our conversation that we had in 2017 with Coach Moore, David Jackson, and Steve Brown, um, really talking all about Michigan. So enjoy that. Enjoy the football game on Saturday. And until our post-game episode following the Gardner-Webb game, go apps. 37-yard field goal, this is it. This is it right here. Insel ready. The snap's good. The whole block. The kick is good. Oh! The Mountaineers are going to try to take it's it to the lead to the big house. Go the big house. 20, 15, oh! 10. The Mountaineers have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines. The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. And thank you for staying with the Black and Gold Podcast. This is easily the most epic segment we've ever done. We have the one and only David Jackson. Say hey, David. Hey, David. Steve Brown. <laughs> hey, Steve. But the most important is, I mean, you don't even have to introduce Jerry Moore, but Jerry Moore's with us. How you doing, Coach? Awesome. I love it. It is a round table. We do have a round table this here. This is literally a round Maybe table. Maybe the best round table. It, I mean, as far as like the it's participants solid. or the table itself. It's solid. It's solid. It's solid. Is it a Bernhardt? It is the table that was here when I arrived in the office. <laughs> That's maybe. <laughs> so we're, we're here basically because college football history was changed about 10 years ago. It was a pretty big deal, as you might remember, Coach. You might remember a game against Michigan. Um, what was that score, uh, Chuck? Hold on. i got to look on the wall in here. I'm sure DJ's got it in here somewhere. Uh, I think it was 34-32. I knew it was close. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there's a there's a million ways to talk about the Michigan game, and we it, it changed uh, the trajectory of where App went. It changed the direction of where Michigan went, uh, and it, it put us on a whole different level. But when you when you hear people ask you about the Michigan game, which is probably all the time, like we're doing right now, um, without having to record over again. What what are the first things you think about? The celebration, probably. There's two things. There's probably the preparation, and then not the game itself, but the celebration. Uh, the locker room was kind of subdued. It wasn't quite like you might think. There was no champagne and stuff like that in huh. there. But just the, all the effort of everybody involved to make it all happen. Hmm. It, and it took everybody to make it happen. 
uh, when I think this was my freshman year, and that's I, I that was the first college football game of my collegiate experience. I wasn't there; I didn't have any money to go, but um, we paid close attention. But everything that I know about that particular team, from whether it was watching that, um, was it was it Fox that did the uh, Fox Sports? Yes. Yeah, Fox Sports that did the the special. It was like a perfect storm, a perfect combination of you know we had, we had the talent. But we had the experience, and we had the grit, and everything else. Um, I mean, I think you've even said that that was probably the best fall camp that you've ever been around. Is that is that true? Wasn't just the fall. It started. It actually started in off season. Once we, the rumor was solidified. I remember Jay Sutton came to my door. We'd had a morning six o'clock workout, and we'd watched. We filmed all those. And then Jay came to my door. I just walked across the hall to my office, put his hand up against the door frame, and said, Coach Michigan just called. And uh, he said, they want to play. And I told him, I said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I said, we'll never get this opportunity again. And it was just Jay and I talking. Within 10 days or so, the contract had been signed. The temperature the level went up i mean everything that we were doing and the off season the, the morning workouts we were it was incredible and then it went into the spring practice and then in the summer one of the great shots that i think is i uh, our strength coaches were the only ones that could work with them outside and uh, and i've got a, a picture of them on a video of the sun coming up over the visitors to the east side of the stadium and they're all lined up across the end zone and just perspiration sweats just pouring off of them. It's about 6.30 or quarter to 7 in the morning and they'd already been at work and it was just it was it just epitomized what it was going to take and what it took to to have that kind of game. And that was, uh, that was spring 07 that they scheduled the game? I'm sorry. It was spring of seven. It was February. Yeah. February. Yeah. Wow. We were on the bus going to the airport to go play Wichita State in Bracket Busters when the contract got signed and Jay called and said it was done. Wow. Wow. Because, I mean, we remember talking about when the Miami game got scheduled in, like, November of the fall before, and even that felt like a quick turnaround, so February. That's... The, those games back in the, in the 1AA days got scheduled a lot tighter. Oh. I don't know that that was the – there were closer ones. Yeah. That were oh, wow. scheduled. Clemson came together like that one year. Um, Kansas came together like that. Uh, a, a lot of times it was out of necessity. Uh, team might lose a game. LSU uh, yeah. had a situation where a flip occurred late because of something like that. The first time we played Georgia, I think that game was delayed about five times or something like that, or five yeah. years or something yeah. of that nature. So, it, oh, wow. it, yeah. Or was that this game? I think that was this game. I think this game got pushed. The, the game that we'll kick this year, I think it got pushed a couple times. I don't think so. Because I remember – Maybe it is the other one. I think it is the other one. Because Oklahoma State got involved one time, Mississippi State another time. And we, I, I think when it was all said and done, we made the most money off that game being moved so many times because of, mm. of how many times Georgia paid us you know, a little change here and there to – To keep moving it. To keep moving it. I got you. Um, Steve, you were – you know getting ready for the yard sale you were prepping for the yard sale in the big house he only, he got kicked out of the yard sale early <laughs> you got kicked out of the yard sale early yeah i got kicked out of friday's practice <laughs> did you really <laughs> yeah i think i'm the only colored guy to ever get kicked out of practice i actually just 
I was so excited to be in the big house. I was getting a workout in. I told David they were doing all the tech stuff, which I'm not good at. Yeah. I said, I'm going to go change my shorts and had on my iPod and everything was, was just walking up and down. It was hot today. Remember the walk through? It was hot. Yeah. And this guy pointed at me, big tall guy, redhead guy, about six six, did like that. I went, me? Like me? And yeah. I get ready. And I had my badge on that David got me and Mike Flynn. And he said, you got to go. I said, we may have got to go. I got my badge. He said, you're for Appalachian State? I went, yeah, I do the radio network. I said, you got to go. You, you sit here and watch us practice. I said, you mean to tell me you're worried about me, the one double A <laughs> color announcer? <laughs> you serious right now? I said, yeah, you got to go. So. My bag was on the other side. I did the slowest walk ever to get my bag. <laughs> slowest walk back up. And then get back up. Remember the older guy up there that got ticked off? There was a guy there. He's about 85 years old. Nice guy. David told him what happened. That guy was fired up. He, he called in and chewed somebody out. After the game, he came over. He about, like I said, he's an older gentleman. He came over and gave me a high five after the game. said, how about that? <laughs> he's a Michigan guy. <laughs> I mean, he was, he, was, he was ticked off. They kicked me out of practice. Oh, maybe they thought you were Bill Belichick. <laughs> the process. I just like that he's the only person ever in American history to work out with a media credential on around his neck. Because <laughs> I knew that might come up, you know. So That's we, good. Yeah. So um, you couldn't even get that guy an autograph? He wouldn't let you go? No. No? That wouldn't even work? Yeah. That wouldn't work. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you quarterback 1977. You were a coach and everything else. What's, like... What's the first thing when people ask you, and again, people ask you probably all the time too, what's the first moment that goes through your head when you talk about the Michigan game? Well, David and I talked about pregame. I went down there and kind of did the walk around, and Coach may agree or disagree with me, but I came back and told David, I said, Michigan's big, but they look like they look thick. They didn't look long and lang like LSU and some of the other people that Coach were used to playing. I said, I, they don't look – they look slow. Hmm. And uh, – I think that bore out our condition and our speed and the game plan those guys had offensively did a great job. But I think we were quicker and faster than they were all around. And I think Coach hit it around the point. That conditioning in the fourth quarter, I mean, we looked like we were a lot better shaped than they were. Yeah, yeah, truly. So what's the most underrated thing about that game that nobody talks about? We all, You know, they talk about maybe a certain catch or um, the block, obviously. Everybody talks about the block. And uh, Armani had so many good plays. But what are some, what, what are some things that – you don't think I talked about enough that contributed to making that most game of the time the block field goal by quick mm. it gets overlooked a lot mm. and that was a great play by him uh, and just uh, the sideline demeanor mm. uh, you'd have to that's not something you can look at a tape or something you have to feel it and you and I, you know I've got my back to them but I can hear them mm. and I can hear comments by them and you know there's like when they hit the long ball on us right there to last that was that's an unbelievable feeling you know you they didn't have their helmets turned on backwards or anything like that or locked arms they were just they just knew that the kick was going to be blocked mm. and we'd had so many of them blocked in practice we had we worked so much harder maybe on special teams and a lot of the, the corners, uh, but Corey in particular, it was not. When you look at the tape, it wasn't like we. I wish I could say we had a really nice trick or scheme to go, uh, get them to to block it. Their outside protector, their up back, just made a mistake. Yeah. But when those things happen, if you're not prepared for it, you yeah. won't take advantage of it. 
Corey almost could have caught that ball. <laughs> he almost overran yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, no one touched him, and that's just unheard of. But the fact that how he had practiced to do that was incredible. You know, the season before against Furman, we were in a tight game with them in 2006, and Corey gets a hold of one at the end of the half, and then Furman doesn't score a point for the rest of the game. I think we ended up winning that game like 40-7. to seven. It was just, I just thought back to that yeah. moment of like he said in one of the documentaries they actually called the play the Furman block the Furman block that was what he and Pierre discussed and they they switched spots there was something about a, a late switch and and he said to him or, or he said during the documentary he said that he said hey let's run the Furman block they switch spots he blocks the kick now it's called the Michigan block <laughs> well, but, I think be neither if it was still called the Furman block <laughs> I, I kind of like we it beat too. some teams with this you may have heard of a few. I'll give you a sport, a Corey Lynch moment. Yeah. Go all the way back to 2005. It was the first time we'd really gotten a, a jersey any different than just plain coach. I mean, I just liked – I always wanted – I wanted Appalachian on it, but didn't want any stripes or anything like that. So we get our jerseys in the locker room at Eastern Kentucky in 2005. First time we'd ever wore anything different. Hmm. But the, well, the point I'm making is, uh, just before the half, we've got a, a lead, and Corey Lynch is on the far side of the field, and they throw a tunnel screen to their wide receiver, who was probably the fastest kid on Eastern Kentucky's team. Hmm. And there's only a few seconds left in the half, and he's that guy's. It looks like he's going to score. And Corey comes from the opposite side of the field. And knocks him out of bounds just as the clock ticks off for the first half. And I, when I think back now, David and I watched the, the Michigan game together one night, he and Chris and I, and you watch Lynch play uh, and the effort. And it's no surprise when you think back to throw that ball game two years earlier. And I think that was a turning, turning point for maybe – our three national championships. Oh wow! It's certainly a, a turning point in the demeanor of that team. Yeah, that that you would go the extra mile. And this was a guy that was coming off an injury too. Yeah. It wasn't a leg injury, but but still, you're you're talking about a guy that ran a long way to make a vicious hit. Yeah, and he did not flinch. Yeah, and and he did. He he hit him and knocked him knocked him to the ground just as his time went to zero, and that set the tone for the rest of that game, and and really kind of propelled the. Um, the start of that season that was the team right after the team that never won on the road yeah, yeah right. so mm-hmm. so that was uh, an important building block for that team just to to learn how to win one away i was at that game we i was with the friends at the bachelor party and we decided to go to kentucky and well we don't, pick, don't go any further than that bachelor story after i'm that. glad there's a football we to the game, game. Attached to this because this story could go on a much much different way it certainly could um but you know we weren't getting we weren't playing well in that 2005 Eastern Kentucky game. They they were kind of surprised us if yeah. I don't if I remember correctly, and that kind of set the tone. I mean, that, I just remember you know I don't know what happened for the rest of that game for for one reason or another, but um, I just remembered that play specifically. That was maybe one of the few plays I remember from that game is, is Corey crossing the field, and you're like this guy's going to score. This is yeah. this is a bad. This is like the worst situation we could have had because it, it was a long play, six or seventy yards or something like that. Yeah. Um, I just remember like a sigh of relief, like wow, that was that was such a huge play to make at that time. But I remember, I you know when I think back to the 2017, you know even though I was 
just coming on as a as a student, I remember um, there was a friend of mine that had been going to games. He graduated in the '80s and everything else, and and uh, he saw T.J. Corman and Jock Roman and a couple other guys down in Lenore Rhine because T.J. Corman's brother played for LR. He's my age, and um, he went up to him, he recognized him, and he said, uh, he said, "Hey, uh, you boys ready to go up there and, and play in the big house? But that'll be fun." And and I can't remember if he said uh, TJ or, or or Jock said it, but they were like, "No, we we're not going up there to have fun," you know. Yeah. We, you know, and so that was always cool for me to hear because I heard that before the Michigan game because my my friend told me that he's like yeah, they they weren't you know treating it any other way other than they were very serious about it and and looking at the home winning streak from the class of seniors and everything else that you know I kind of look at even this year's team is is you got to learn to win. And you and you look at not winning on the road uh, in '04, and but you're close and you're building, you're building. Um, you know the culmination of of '05 and '06, the conditioning and, and the experience. You know, I think the only way you beat Michigan is. I mean, you said we're fast, you know, Steve. You said we're fast and, and a lot of uh, superior shape, maybe to them. And that's fine, but I think you got to have that grit too. You know, you got to have that. Um, I don't know that experience of winning close games, and I think what you said, a coach, is composure. You know, I think that team probably out of all of them had uh, the best maybe composure at that point that allowed them to um, to kind of finish because you know those games we've seen it. You know, you, you go up against the the P fives and they're big and they just keep throwing depth at you, and so it's hard to maintain. But I mean, that's exactly what we did is, yeah. is we we fought them all the way to the end. So I think experience was a huge part of that. You had so many playmakers. I think it's one of the plays that I remember. David and I talked about. It. I think it was Corman caught a ball right in front of Michigan's bench. He had a chance to go out of bounds. He kind of head shaked. The guy juked inside. And he got about eight extra yards. Yeah. Ran out of bounds. Killed the clock. And then Armani made a big scramble. I think found Coco uh, to yeah. get down yeah. in, in, in really good field goal range. So that, I mean, he had so many playmakers on that team offensively. You had well, and Amani threw two interceptions. In exactly, the second half. Yeah, almost back to back. Yeah, it was like unlike him ever. So <laughs> he had so many playmakers on offense. But I thought Coach and the staff did a great job, not only getting prepared, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts were going into halftime. I thought you, mm. your speech was awesome about this is what Notre Dame and USC is going. I mean, you're going to get their best punch, and I thought that was great speech. And what were your thoughts going into halftime? I remember telling them that they're fixing to see the best football team the second half that they've ever seen. Yeah. And because they were, they were Michigan had played in games like that traditionally. They still are won more college football games than any other team in the history of college football. And then there was just a sense of awe about things that they you could almost tell they were absorbing, not what I said, but they were absorbing the feeling in that locker room that we're we're good enough to pull this off, and we go back out and play really uh, have a great start to this uh, second half. So what's the, what was the main difference between because we when was it when we played Auburn was it in the nineties ninety nine ninety nine ninety nine and we that was a that was a really competitive game against wow. an SEC school and then we even played LSU really well was it oh five oh five yeah so what what do you think the the main difference was it just sheer will that that caused them to come out in the second half and, and maintain and end up winning that game versus the other ones where it's so hard in the second half to to overcome the second wave. Uh, this is no slam against Michigan, but there's there's a lot of difference in personnel at LSU and Auburn, mm. speed wise, mm. and I think that was yeah. a big big factor. 
and um, uh, I, did, I guess to leave it at that, but uh, because they were a talented, obviously Michigan was talented football team. They were number five in the nation. Who was your quarterback? They went on to beat uh, Florida. Florida in the, in the bowl game with Meyer and yeah. Tebow. Yeah. yeah. Who was your quarterback in '99? David David Reeves yep. played that game. Yeah. Reeves. Yeah. yeah, that's the difference too. I mean, nothing against David Reeves. You got Armani pulling the trigger. Against anybody else in the history, that's a that's a big plus. And I thought Coach Elliott. I love to go back and watch that clip. He's on the sidelines like, they can't guard you. They ain't got an answer. And I mean, the kids start believing that, and they really felt that. I felt like on the sidelines, and and, and that's the kind of coaching. When you're going good, you got to keep pumping them up and keep you know. And he, if it wasn't going good, he'd tell you either way. But, yeah, uh, I love. It. He said they can't guard you. Oh they ain't got a clue. That's a, that's <laughs> the one other thing that gets overlooked. Is I'm gonna tell you, it's great style. Those, oh yeah, those, those guys got coached now when it's from spring practice, and then when we started camp two a days, they got coached. And I, I don't mean anything different, but I mean they they were they got coached every day. Hmm. Mm. Um, uh, how many of those uh, players on on the Michigan side were? Who's Jake Long? Who's Chad Jake Henney, Long? Uh, Mario, Mario Manningham, Mike Hart, Henny. Yeah. Um, Sean Crable was a linebacker who was good for them. Um, I think there was a defensive back last name Toussaint, who, yeah. who also uh, yeah. was in the NFL for a little bit. So that, I thought I saw a stat once that there were seventeen players on that field that day that played in the NFL. Uh, we had six. Yeah, that sounds about right. Seven. Yeah, yeah, good number. They played at least, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and I'm not talking preseason. I'm talking like legitimate regular season play. I um, think that number is right. Mesco, I think their 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 holder, which also was their punter. He he was with the Giants for a Ryan little bit. Mallet. Yeah, there you go. Ryan Mallet was, yeah, that's he right. was the backup QB. He, he transferred yeah, from right. Arkansas. Yeah, he's still in the league somehow. Is he really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he and Quick. There, there. I think there were like four guys that are still active. Dexter Jackson just told me that uh, the other the other night. That Mallet, Quick, Manningham, and Henny's still in. Henny's still well, with the Jaguars. Yeah, he's still in. He, um, he plays for the Dolphins, though. That doesn't count. So you just said Jaguars. He's the Jaguars. Jaguars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember the other one. Uh, is Jake Jake Long might still? Uh, he just retired. I, I knew yeah. he was very close, but. Um, did he go to the NFL draft that year? He was the number one overall pick that year. Yeah, the following year. And he was the first he offensive threw Gary tackle. Gary Farrington yeah. around that day like yeah. he was so nothing. First there. Gary was not thrown around much. Mm. I mean, oh my gosh, poor uh, Gary might have drawn the worst assignment of anybody that day, <laughs> having to just get tossed by that guy all day long. But still found a way. Isn't it weird that you know you talk about playing this game that we all remember so well that the guy that was like the big stud college kid. On campus is now like a retired NFL player. We've gotten to the ten-year mark where it's it's that far removed. That's uh, pretty crazy. I mean, when you really think about it, um, t- t- ten years. I mean, you're the only one in this room that wasn't there. But not to remind you, but to think that you know where we were in our lives ten years ago, what were we doing ten years ago? You know, that's, that's even crazier. I love I love playing that game with people when you know you talk about the Black Gold Podcast and they're like, oh well, how was it? At Michigan, you talk about that as if you know I was there. But no, I was eighteen. I didn't have any money. I couldn't go. But um, anyway, uh, Chuck, I asked um, Coach Asenica what he thought were the most underrated plays in that game that really made a a, sh- uh, a shift or a difference. 
you're the most detailed person I think I've ever known in my life. What do you think? You know, Kevin Richardson had, what, 82 yards or something like that in that game. And it just felt like he earned every one of them. Yeah. It was a lot of runs. He, he really finished off, could have had, get stuck for a loss or only got caught for no game, but he turned him into two or three or four yards. And that was a huge difference as far as, you know, one yard, what that represents as far as the, where the distance in the chains. I mean, it's a big deal to be third and four versus third and seven. Mm-hmm. And it gives, it gives you a different, you know, play to run. I just, I, I, I don't think Kevin got enough enough credit in that game for just mm. really being a battering ram and, and uh, making Michigan work really hard. It's mm. interesting. Um, I've started with kind of trying to do a book, and so I went back, got all our practice schedule, looked at every practice schedule, and David came over one night or two nights, and we went through it. And I remember, well, I think we only had two long yardage situations the whole ball game. Oh, wow. When I when I say long yardage, makeable long yardage, not, and and I remember walking around at practice with a watch, stopwatch, and I was timing every throw, that we couldn't take over two point five seconds to get rid of the ball, because we didn't want third and eighteen. Hmm. You're going to force a ball, get it picked, or you're going to have to do something goofy, <laughs> and we hit we uh, we were really efficient with the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're, we're we managed the clock, I thought Amani and the coaches upstairs monitored, monitored that clock, and we were getting the ball off in two point. Uh, well, just like the first one, the, the one to Dexter was less than two seconds, yeah. but we didn't want any long yardage plays. Mm. Yeah, that, and that, and that, you know, we've seen that. I mean, even paying attention. To college football, uh, at football, the way we have, I mean, turnovers and long yardage situations, and and not being able to, I don't know, um, put pressure on the defense is, well, is and, something that. And you mentioned shows. Kevin running the ball and those offensive linemen. Yeah. I mean, they you don't block people like that every day. Now I'm telling you for sure, the size wise. I remember when we played Northern Iowa, first national championship game, we had problem problems blocking their linemen because mm. we're generally we're fairly quick and got a good speed but we're not maybe as big up front as people that we play sometimes mm-hmm. but the offensive line uh that that day up there and, and kevin's running ability just uh, never say die mm. uh, just uh way you ran the football I, i'd like to see a time of possession i don't know what it is but i'd like to see a time of possession show on that of, of what we held the ball, David. You, you know, I, I seem to remember it got skewed a lot in the second half. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like we had the ball an awful lot. We controlled the clock, and we were kind of dictating what they were doing. But uh, mm. you know, Kevin was one of the best guys as coach, and, and Chuck both alluded to. If it was third and three, I mean, you basically give him the ball. He didn't just stand in somebody's way. He's going to get you three and a half. Mm. He had a great nose for the first. Well, you're going. He gives you a chance, and you're going to run the clock. Yeah, he didn't fumble much either. No. I mean, he took care of the football. So we um, – this – I just saw where there's a, a little bit of a buzz going on with we might have some uh, significant playing time at center this year with a true freshman. And uh, that's exactly what we had <laughs> playing against Michigan and Brett Irvin. Uh, oh, yeah. How, how – okay, so you're going in with a true freshman. As good as he might be potentially down the road when he's a, even a sophomore. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? I, when I go down to Ga- when I go down to Gaffney and see their stadium, their high school stadium, that's the last. 
probably the last crowd that Brett played in front of at Gaffney probably was five or six thousand people. Yeah, there are that many people on the sideline <laughs> at Michigan. I mean, there's a hundred and nine thousand, uh, and yeah, <laughs> that's his first college start. Wow. Uh, I don't think he made any bad snaps, did he? I don't, I don't no think bad snap. No. Well, and, and that center makes all the calls. Yeah. He's, he's he's he did a great job, and, and Scott Suttles. Yeah, just uh, you know, you get counting on him all spring, all summer. You go, you know, that's he's your he's your go-to guy, and he's standing over there with me. <laughs> how did he get? How did he get hurt? What was uh in scrimmage? Yeah, oh. in scrimmage. But you know, I, I think you know. I know we talked about this recently about the um, the situation with Trey and Armani giving up that. You know, having a, oh, yeah. a switch in personnel. I think in a similar vein, Scott's approach to preparing Brett may have been one of the chief underline or, or underrated things in there yeah. because he was yeah. in his ear for about two solid weeks. Uh, is that happened at FanFest, if I remember right? And there yeah. was about two weeks' worth of time where you knew Brett wasn't going to play, and he was in the huddle at every practice, coming back to Brett after every snap saying, you know, you did this right, think about this guy. I, and that got documented a little bit in the, in the Fox documentary, yeah, but that was a constant mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, a, you're talking about a senior uh, an upperclassman doesn't have to invest that kind of time, but the ones that do play on championship teams and have wow. and, and contribute to moments when they're standing over next to their head coach watching it from afar. You know, we uh, every year it didn't make any difference who we were playing. We gave them that last Friday off because we'd been forced enough to be in the playoffs, and it was the last chance they get to go home. So we give them the Friday off and get them back in there at six o'clock on Sunday. I was just glad to see that Brett came back. <laughs> <laughs> We would have been up the creek if he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> they might have caught you first from the stands. Armani would have been the first self-hiker in college <laughs> yeah. football history. <laughs> self-hiker. self-hiker. Shotgun. You got to count to three Mississippi yeah. before you rush. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, that's um, that scenario of getting hurt in FanFest. Right? Did he get hurt at FanFest? Armani got hurt in FanFest. Yeah. Fest. yeah. Is that well, where you somebody tackled him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, on the uh, well, and that's about the time that we started to roll that back. I mean, you know, there, yeah. there is a reason for for that kind of going away a little bit. It was great, and you know, I, I, I still say that people all over the country that that work in roles like Brownie and I did did not ever understand the level of access that we had to our football <laughs> program and, and and what our football program was willing to do to help the university oh, by putting on those fan fest scrimmages. I mean, there were 10, 11,000 people oh, yeah. watching a glorified practice. Would but you go? I, I did. I know one. He was there at 7 o'clock in the morning. He was there before move-in traffic was on campus. You had to beat the move-in traffic. 17,000 at one of them? The, the, one of the very first wow. ones, it may have been the 06 one. It was right yeah. after the national championship yeah. stuff. And, man, that, it was as big as a game day. And we really kind of built it that way. It was, I, the, it was the seventh I went game. back to the, in front of the old field house. They'd already turned off the lights. And I signed those pictures till almost midnight. And people were lined up on the track coming around and you could hardly see what to write on the, I guess that's where they always do more than expected came from it just uh, muscle memory yeah yeah but it uh, it was just a great event it had the jersey sales I mean those were popular oh yeah um, surplus we stuff. needed the money back then yeah well I think y'all got it at least you got it for me 
Oh, my gosh. So, Coach, we talked about um, on our last episode that almost wasn't an episode, but we actually did save it. We recorded it. It's out there for people to hear. We talked about how Trey Elder, uh, a lot of people – did you say he was first-team SOCON preseason? He was the first-team preseason in Southern Conf- uh, all-Southern Conference quarterback going into 2006. Right. And then Armani Edwards happened, right, and no one really saw you know how great he was going to be. Um, we talked about or, – or DJ was talking about how he thought – Trey, in his attitude of wanting to help make Armani better um, in, in situations really of, of every stripe, uh, really helped Armani uh, get better himself. And then whenever Armani didn't play, he kind of had that same attitude wanting to help with Trey. Uh, how do you think that impacted um, the Michigan, pre- uh, preparing for the Michigan game? Because Armani, you know, he had a good freshman year, but the best was still ahead of him, you know. Well, that, that whole team was a very unselfish team. I mm. mean, the, the, during that era, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't just the, those that particular time. But that's just Trey's nature. He he's coaching now and a very successful high school coach. Uh, he came out of a terrific program. He uh, there wasn't a selfish bone in his body. Mm. I mean, he was he was a team guy. Well, the touchdown against Delaware. Yeah, our bench unloaded. I think we got a penalty. That was that was when the guy yep. threw the ball, or, or or was it one of our players threw a ball into the stands after a touchdown? There was something that hey, happened the, right the, then, and all those people were down on the sideline because of that touchdown. But I right, mean, it, right. just uh, well, they, they said how happy everybody was to see him have some success. Hmm. That's got to be, but everything pointing to those teams and Scott Suttle helping Brett Irvin and Trey Elder helping Armani. It's like you can't win unless you have the majority of your core players kind of buying into the everybody helping each other, which is kind of the, the theme I think of all those um, those three championship years. Um, and speaking of those three championship years, which one of those teams do you think was the best one? Oh, I don't think there was a, a best one. They all. Uh, they were all different. You know, the, the, you could almost say the first ones were. They'd never been there. Never, the, but the second ones had experience and, and a lot of confidence. And then the third one, uh, the Michigan game was the highlight of the season until you get to the national mm. championship game. So they were all different. They all had their place in, I'm going to call it, Appalachian history. Mm. What uh, What was the feeling like when – because when you beat Michigan, you – you got to win the national championship at that point. You can't go off and lose. Was that the standard set? What? I know that's a good question. Did you feel like you had to? Yeah. Three. Well, teams. Fred Goldsmith, who was the coach at Duke, and yeah. I coached with him at Arkansas, was the coach at Little Noah Ryan, yeah. and we were playing them the next week. And he he said, "You gave us the best compliment we've ever had." He said, "We ought to." I told him, "He said we got to forget about Michigan and get ready for Lenore Ryan." <laughs> and that, and I think that uh, I didn't mean it to be uh, anything but uh, to stir them up. I mean, our us, and uh, but because we gave them off Monday, we were we were we. There's no way we could have practiced Monday. <laughs> we coaches and everybody else were still living the dream, but I think we were pretty good at putting all that behind us on Tuesday and getting ready. Didn't make any difference who it was. Just happened to be Lenore Ryan, kind of right down the street. Yeah. But uh, there's just a, a special bunch of men. Mm. And we, I, I mentioned this after the last – I know I mentioned it after Michigan, and I know I mentioned it after the last one, that it didn't – it's 
hate to word it this way, but it's about the Steve Browns and John Settles and on and on, uh, Dino Hackett's, everybody that's mm. ever played here mm. uh, set the foundation for this. And, you know, I, I mentioned this downstairs a while ago. I, no one ever talks much about when I was at Texas Tech. We had five losing seasons in a row. When I came here, this program was in really good shape because of Mac Brown and Sparky Woods. I didn't come in here and have to wave the wand and just it, it, we had good players and then they all it took it took a little bit from to buy into the program, mm. but we had good players and uh, we there's a lot of rich tradition at Appalachian State mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it didn't all just happen on those national championship years. There's it was it's always been fun to, for me. To go to the, these meetings and the, the golf outings and whatever it might be, and see guys and hear stories about uh, the guys that played here, the Dugan boys and all that. This and it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just John Settle said told me this one time. And I, I use it quite often speaking. And I write it out some. Tradition never graduates. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've got a new. I made up a business card when I didn't have a, a coaching deal anymore, and on it I put uh, "Tradition never graduates," and I had it highlighted in yellow. Oh wow! If there was only a podcast for someone to listen to for Appalachian State history, Steve, that's your call, buddy. We're going to start one. <laughs> you're going to start one. We've been on this podcast, and we we feel like we could exploit its weak points, and we're going to start one. It's going to be called the Golden Black Podcast. Hold on a second. You think you can exploit our weaknesses? It's like a mosquito at a nudist colony. You don't know where to start. It's actually Silver and Black Podcast. We're going to Silver to his experience. Silver and Red. Silver and Red Podcast. <laughs> I don't know. All we have to do is bring batteries. That's the weak points of this one. <laughs> Write that down. Chuck, don't let him hate on me like this. No, it's funny. I like it. <laughs> that's that's terrible. That's terrible. Well, Coach, um, obviously, you know, the Michigan game, uh, although, like, we've talked about it so much, it, the reason we talk about it is because it was a, an extremely special moment. It, it, it made my college experience better because of what it did to the school, what it did to the program, and, and really what it did for a whole um, – you know, set of graduates uh, for their enthusiasm for caring about what happened in the program. So, you know, even though we talk about it all the time, I don't think it could be understated. And I think, um, you know, because we have been doing a lot of uh, these episodes with Steve, uh, with Dino Hackett, and we even had uh, Chip Sigmund, which was the Dark Horse uh, favorite, where uh, a lot of people love that one, and we had a great time with Chip. But um, uh, we do realize that um, this, you know, every every era has their has left their mark in some way and for the next one and you know from from as far as i can tell and i pay attention very closely uh you created in in especially that those teams the championship years a culture and an attitude um that is family oriented that still is around and um i think that played a huge part in the michigan game and that was part of football history that not like anybody well i didn't predict i didn't know it was going to happen so um Chuck, I don't want to wrap this up without you being able to ask whatever is on your mind that you haven't heard before. If you have just that killer, just that killer question, that killer question that no one's no one's ever asked him before about the Michigan game. Yeah, like yeah, something like um, probably hundreds and hundreds, thousands of conversations you've had. Thousands has to be thousands um, regarding that game. Um, was it when you got home and you got off the bus? 
What was that feeling like? Was it different than being in the locker room? <laughs> Sheesh. Well, Tom we, Rinaldi was there. We Tom flew into, Wow. Flew into Johnson City, and, and, and uh, ESPN had done a Virginia Tech uh, game. Oh, yeah. And they were there, and then they were – I guess they beat us here. And I, I remember coming in from uh, was it 105 down mm-hmm. that way, and when we got to about where the, holiday, the uh, Hampton Inn is or the, now the Marriott, there were people already out there on the side of the street, and we made that turn by uh, Wendy's there, and they were rocking the bus. I mean, they were pushing the bus, you know, the bus was rocking. You didn't know if you were going to make it to the field house. <laughs> and then when we, then when you, up the hill by the, by the duck pond, it's just an incredible feeling. There's mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of people there. And, you know, mostly, I say, I say mostly students. There's, uh, I know there weren't any students asleep. <laughs> and uh, yeah. when, we, when they opened those doors of the bus and everybody, got off is it just you realize sort of what what you'd done not about football necessarily but what you'd done yeah for appalachian state mm-hmm. what's the most interesting phone call you got after that oh man besides the president i, I, I couldn't even remember which one was the most interesting well, lloyd carr called you who? or did you call him who lloyd carr yeah lloyd called the next day yeah I tell you another thing. The night before we show a movie, mm. and um, uh, we watched the movie Invincible, and it's about a player that played for um, the Eagles, for the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. Now on Monday he called me. <laughs> he found out that we through the media that we had shown the movie Invincible, and he he it's a great story. He's yeah. a walk walk on. Yeah. for the Eagles and then uh, and he kind of hung out in a bar and he had all these uh, bar buddies and all that stuff and they'd play touch football with car lights on it's a, it's a great movie yeah. players fell in you know liked it and but that was an interesting call and then the one from Lloyd was pure class I mean it I wish we'd had it on a speakerphone because we were in a staff meeting mm. and uh, we didn't get to see each other after the game it was just so crowded and you just there wasn't any way to get a hold of each other. Usually, you know, we meet, shake hands, and say good things to each other. <laughs> but we just it didn't happen. And he called it that day, and his we talked for about ten minutes. Oh wow! His is a great call. Wow. Um, how much did you make off the yard sale? Do you have any idea? <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> we 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 should have rethought that strategy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first time. When well, let's I, be specific. That's what you, a lot of people have asked me. Like, what, what, saying, what does he say? And yeah. Steve Brown in the background is screaming, "Yard sale, yard sale at the big house." That's the first time I've ever seen David nervous. He never gets nervous. I mean, I've seen him go into meetings and just freestyle stuff. And they, they cut in and said, "ESPN's doing a live cut in." And David kind of looked at me, and then we went to one break, and I said, "I feel like I'm hunched over about a five footer for the Masters." <laughs> He said, my hands, and my, he's feeling my hands, and they was just sweating. That's the first time I've ever seen him get nervous. So, of course, that made me get nervous. <laughs> so. You thought, what could I say? Now, well, but the thing is, he dropped that line before he dropped the line. I mean, there there was that. a first reference to the yard sale in the big house, and then as Corey blocked the kick, there was the second was the reference. It's kind of like the quick block. 
there was a there there was a there was a statement, and then there was another one. Yeah, that happened right after Roush's field goal. He he he's said for the first time he's like well, I, th- I think I think he said something in that that Steve Brown meets Jack Palance like brashy <laughs> little tone. He's like he's like looks like it's about time for the yard sale in the big house. <laughs> And I remember thinking, that's pretty clever. That's pretty clever. And then, you know, he's yelling at, like, Tarzan there <laughs> ten minutes later. Tarzan. Tarzan. Right, we, get, we get back to Jop City. Coach said we, we flew back in Jop City and had one more StarTac phones back then. And I think he had 25 voicemails from some of my homeboys just, like, busting me up. I mean, <laughs> is that you? I mean, I, I had to delete all those, you know, coming, coming home. It was crazy. We, um, just to give you a sense of the media part of all of that, um, so Coach and Mike Flynn burned through two cell phones on the tarmac at the airport in Ypsilanti. We didn't get back to Boone until midnight, close to it. Uh, and that game kicked at noon. I mean, we it, it took wow. us a significant amount of time to get out. Wow. But 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 there was the – I think there was an unspoken policy, or maybe it was spoken. I couldn't really remember that nobody got turned down for any kind of request. It was, it was Appalachian's time to shine – and and there were several of us. Coach certainly had the most of anybody. Um, anybody that got asked for an interview request filled that request, mm-hmm. no matter how many you had to do back to back to back, or or what the circumstances were, because we knew that you know this was an opportunity for campus to receive so much exposure. You didn't want to you didn't want to be the people that turned that down. And uh, you know, so Tom Rinaldi was at the Virginia Tech East Carolina game. That was the first game at Virginia Tech since the shooting. So oh, that's why Rinaldi's there. So he comes down from Blacksburg and and meets meets. I never forget walking walking around the corner and I see Coach underneath that awning at Owens Fieldhouse with Tom Rinaldi and I'm like, okay, this doesn't normally happen. <laughs> you know? And then and then so I turn on the TV the next morning and, and we had had on ESPN last. So as the TV warms up and comes on, there's Coach at the stadium and I'm like. Okay, this doesn't normally happen. You know, first thing I turn on the TV, there's Coach. But we had a live press conference on ESPN News that Sunday afternoon, and ESPN was on campus for about ten days. We had the the next game was the first game without the press box, the old one on on the west side of the stadium. So we were in those little trophy suites on on the east side, way down toward the far side, and and for that Lenore Ryan game that was originally we did all this stuff in the summertime. We got Gerald Adams must have talked to every player that at the app had that played against Lenore Ryan. We had this whole thing to do this big kind of legacy celebration of what that rivalry was, and that went out the window. We had the Washington Post, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the New York Times, every major U.S. newspaper, all the way out to San Francisco, was at the game covering the game with a staff writer, and they were all sitting in the stands because we didn't have a press box. We use the the old chance or the old university president's box that's yeah. on the east side mm-hmm. that covered area mm-hmm. was the main press area. That's where Mike and his staff were, and a few writers were in there. And I mean, we had the we had a Sunday columnist from the Washington Post sitting in about row twelve of the east side for <laughs> App State Lenore Ryan covering the greatest upset of of all time. But we were so, you know, we were in the middle of construction. And yeah. and you know all of a sudden it was thrown on from the media requests from the um, everything I mean documentaries you, you name it it was all there um, poor guy that made the Fox Sports thing passed out on the plane on the way home 
You remember that? Yeah. yeah. He about died. I mean, he had like a big fever. You remember that coach? He was sick. He's in you the back up front. of the plane. He's yeah. in the back of the plane throwing up and about dehydrating. <laughs> Team Dodger Bass, this poor guy's going to die. Everybody's so excited, paying attention. They're not even paying attention to the guy. But they had made a commitment. Uh, they said, kind of jokingly, I guess, probably at the time, and they said, if, if you win this game, we'll turn this thing around in 10 days. And sure enough, 10 days later, that thing came out, and those guys were editing on the plane. They were in camp for every ounce of camp. And the, the intention of it was to be more of a, we're going we're gonna to go through camp with this team. They hmm. just won the national championship, and they're getting ready to go play in the grandest stage. They really never intended to do much with the game. It was all about preparation for the long year, the grind, and then, oh, by the way, they went and played Michigan, and that, that happened. But they – they became obviously very invested in it, and they knew they had lightning in a bottle, and time was everything. So they tried to put that thing on as quickly as they possibly could. I remember could. when they approached us about it, I got our staff together, and I told them what you had told me, that they wanted to – they came in two days before we started camp, getting uh, ready to go. And I told our staff, I said – I just kind of polled, polled them as – I said, this is what I think. If we're going to let them come in here and do it, they got to do it their way. They can interrupt a meeting. They can do whatever they want to do with this and feel comfortable about it so that we give them an opportunity to do everything that they want to do. And I remember we we were – for about two or three days, everybody's kind of rigid and everything. And then after a while, we had those big cold tubs that the players would set in after practice, and they'd get those camera guys – from those guys, and, and they wouldn't have their camera with them, but they'd throw them in those cold tubs with them. <laughs> and so we got we kind of broke the ice. So <laughs> but uh, and then after the game, we're the, I'm walking up with a security guy. There's a Michigan security guy, and the, yeah, the Fox guy is there, and he looks at me. He says the director, or I guess that's what you would call him, or produce the producer, had called him already. He'd watched the game. He said it's gone from a 30-minute show to an, an hour-long hour show, the documentary. So I'd kind of forgotten about all that. We talked about football, <laughs> but the, the uh, media part was huge uh, for that game. I mean, they, they ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner with us. They were in media. They'd be come out of a meeting, you'd see a camera in your face. They got so much stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they were they they were part of the family, really. I well, mean, we went to Los Angeles to the media, the uh, uh, Emmy Awards with them. They were out there. Too. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And then and then Fox. Um, we were down in Atlanta. It may have been two years later. They they released a special edition yeah. of that show, and they they put it on back at when they had Fox Sports Grill there. Uh, just we kind of were Buckhead and in Atlanta meet. We all went. We were down there for the spring tour, and they had us all come out there. And I mean, it was it was everybody. The chancellor was there, uh, you know, Charlie and, and coach and the staff. And there, were, I think there were a few players that that ended up there, and they showed this special edition. I think it had like four or five extra clips in it. I remember watching it and going, <laughs> "Well, that was new footage. That was new." Mike Flynn was sitting next to me, and goes. I swear, man, they may have just put about 12 new shots in this thing. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But they ended up turning in a, a huge gala, and it was uh, – they, they won a ton of awards off that. Coach is an Emmy Award-winning head coach. <laughs> an Emmy Award-winning. got it on his mantle. He was on the official Emmy ballot that went in that that uh, that they uh, they won a, they won a regional Emmy and a national Emmy for that, that production. If you'd only agreed to do the stage production, you could have gotten a Tony. 
<laughs> and it could have been a big deal. When's that going to happen? Because you know it will. You could play Corey Lynch, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cocoon meets the best best upset of all. Brutal man. That is brutal. That's brutal. Is uh is that Lenore Ryan game the happiest atmosphere ever at Kid Brewer? Because it, it felt like that to me. I mean, it was after it the was biggest... for Neil McGahey because he was selling tickets about fifteen dollars over face value at a Lenore Ryan's ticket office. Stubhub McGahey. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, as far as like a light atmosphere, we're not going to lose to LR. We just we're just it's like a it's like a party more than a competition. There's been several games where it was, it's been a party, uh, but on, honestly, I, I if if I go back and remember what happened at that Lenore Ryan game that you know stands out, I know we hit uh, Dexter on a long touchdown on one of the first plays of the game, uh, and I I mean Armani didn't play that game. Trey played the whole entire game, right? Yes, and he, yep. so he hit. He hit Dexter and that's about all I remember. Um, we hit him on a little play action and and then it was just kind of over from there. It was just it was so mellow. How many how many tickets did we give to Lenore Ryan? How many did they? Well, that was a, that was another part of the whole thing was that they had a pretty significant block and uh, and again because we were playing up this whole legacy thing and and the game was scheduled and it was um, we played a, a Northern Arizona yep. right yep. after that mm-hmm. and it was built as kind of a bridge game mm-hmm. and and I remember J- talking to Jay and his rationale was you're going to go and play Michigan you're going to get beat up a little bit um, you need to come back and, and play one that you can get your your mojo back about you you've got Northern Arizona coming in right after that that was a playoff caliber mm-hmm. team and then you got to go and Wofford was early in the the schedule I mean there were some good games early in the SoCon that year and uh so we gave them a significant number and, and we spent a lot of time in Hickory that summer put up a billboard at uh at the baseball stadium down there I right. mean we really were trying to hit Hickory hard because we wanted to celebrate what that rivalry used to be back in the day but we we wanted to sell tickets down there mm-hmm. I mean, we felt like that was going to be a sandwich game that was a tough sell yeah. And then it wasn't. Well, I mean, who doesn't want to hit Hickory hard? You know, such affluent. That was the year that we put the the, um, the the billboard up at LP France Stadium that said "Championship Football, Forty Seven Miles North" or something like that. It was not one of our finest hours. <laughs> <laughs> we got some people talking down there. You did not do more than well, you can't win with that effort. Is that right? You can't win with the. We did win with that effort. Yeah. Well, I it's guess. Like the ball in the end zone. Lucky. You're lucky with that one. Um, Coach, where does uh, where does that game? I mean, just overall, where does that game rank as far as your uh, favorite games that you look back on? Oh, jeez. I mean, is I'm, it number one? It'd have to be right in the top. I mean, you got to remember, you're playing for a national championship. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had been in a lot of locker rooms in my coaching career that we didn't get over the hump. Uh, Arkansas, and Nebraska. You know, you, every year you're playing for that. And uh, so I, I can't say that it was more important than the national championship games. That was our recruiting base. That's what we wanted. That was one of our goals. And, and uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have felt any different, I don't think, if we'd have beaten LSU or beaten uh, Auburn. We probably had a really good opportunity or chance to beat uh, Auburn. We missed – two or three short field goals at extra points and I made a really uh, uh, bad strategic call on a third or fourth down Fourth and one near midfield, yeah. And, uh, you you know, we had a little lead and I thought we'd protect it and, you know, there's a lot of, you could get into that all night, but, 
Certainly it's big. There's no question. Because it brought no more national notoriety to Appalachian State. And I I remember going to uh, the National Convention in L.A., and I had on an Appalachian shirt hmm. going through the uh, airport in Phoenix. And I could hardly get to my plane. Oh, just wow. to head out. We did all this had just happened. But it brought a lot of national recognition to and even now at the coaching conventions, uh, that's that's the ball game everybody talks about. Mm. Well, um, we appreciate it. We appreciate you talking about this for the uh, I think you said thousandth, you know, plus times. Uh, but it doesn't get old for us. Um, we are bigger app fans because of it, and and we have a wider audience, and, and more people love and know Appalachian State because of the teams you led, especially that 2007 team. So. Thank you for taking time to uh, talk with us about it. And Steve and DJ, too. uh, Thank you. It was awesome. Yeah. We appreciate it. We appreciate it very much. We love talking about historical things, and there's nothing really bigger than that has impacted the university. So uh, thank you, Coach. And we hope hope you come back and talk about more stuff with us. That'd be great. Awesome. Awesome.